Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the thriving local arts, entertainment, and food scene with coasting editor Jerry Boggs and his guests. Let us be your guide to the creative South Coast. Back. Thank you for joining us for another Coast and Podcast. We're uh, in the tiny podcast studio here at the Standard Times. We have another uh, special uh, guest duo visiting <laughs> us here today. Uh, and I'll let you introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, this is Patrice Tiedemann, the artistic director of Sea Glass Theatre Company here in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And this is Dawn Salerno. I'm the executive director of the Roach Jones Duff House and Garden Museum, also in New Bedford, Mass. Welcome. Thank you both for joining us. And uh, I know we've got some, uh, today's a good day to do this because it was sunny and uh, it looks like spring out the window, which is uh, kind of a, a, a nice first start. Mm-hmm. Um, but you all actually have some fun things coming up for when people are outdoors and enjoying the South Coast and really soaking up all the, all the wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the first thing that we have actually is still inside the house, and then we'll tell you about the things that are outside of the house. But we'll start with the inside. But it's not going to snow anymore, Jerry, because my husband put away the snow shovels, so we're done. We're done. <laughs> People, t- you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a transplant from Kentucky, and, and uh, you know, we do, we, I can remember having snow in April, and people tell me that it, it, it exists We have had it. I yeah. haven't emotionally come to grips with that idea yet. So uh, if it does happen, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we have a concert at the Roach Jones Deaf House on March 31st, um, and this is called Me and Miss Jones, and, uh, this is all about the life of Amelia Hickling Jones. Um, she was the longest resident of the home, and she, we did, I did research on her life, and the concert is all music from her lifetime, and reading her diaries, some of these are pieces of things that she actually attended. Oh, that's amazing. So I would read in her diary, I, I went to, uh, saw this concert here, and then I would find the paper, the newspaper clippings from that time, when concerts were explained in, in deep detail, <laughs> and actually found out who the artists were, and what they sang, what they performed, what hall it was in. I learned so much about New Bedford. I've learned more about the Boston music scene. She spent so much time traveling back and forth between New Bedford and Boston. Of course, she had family in Milton. Uh, her sister was living up there. So it's been an absolute joy to do this research and dive into this concert. That's fascinating. Now, did you, I'm assuming you all worked together for the research and, and, and the, uh, you know, the kind of the, the documentation and, and that kind of thing? 
Right. Well, so in the research, that where we get our information, even for the for the exhibitions we do at the house, is diaries primarily. The primary sources of this era, and we're talking about 1815 to 1835, 1850, sorry, 50 to 1935, is diaries and then things that you might find boring today, like sales receipts, inventories of the household. The diaries are usually the most interesting, but even the diaries of those days were very different than probably what your diary might look like today. So um, so that's what Patrice was looking at. It's certainly what we looked at when we um, kind of set up the exhibitions and the, and the period rooms that are there now that you could see if you visited today. These This is the only way we know how somebody lived and, and what they did and even that information is is um, kind of patchy and we wish mm-hmm. we knew a lot more than we do so anyone out there that ever found any documentation of the Jones family you know we would we would love to have that information but um, it takes somebody visiting archives typically to kind of mine all that information and well, take somebody saving it in the first place and mm-hmm. then going to archive. So, so yes, Patrice, after our last meeting to plan this concert, I let her leave, I think, with a like a four-pound book of information. <laughs> it's, it's on my bedside table. That she still has. Oh, I forgot you still have that. I do. I have it. I'm taking good care of it. <laughs> so that that was some some good sourcing. And then I had no idea she was visiting these archives and reading reading more for herself. So mm-hmm. that's that's not every musician's practice, but I... And commend her for it. And I had originally pitched the idea to her when she started in the job. And I said, you know, I've had this idea of doing these concerts in the house of music of, of the time period of the people that lived there. And what it was in my head and what it has become for next week has changed a little bit because then I started really focusing on Amelia and her life. And um, she was an amateur pianist. Um, she played the piano her whole life, deeply, deeply interested in uh, vocal music. Uh, her father was very fond of Jenny Lind, who was a famous soprano of the 19th century. Um, she writes a lot about uh, attending concerts of Mendelssohn repertoire. So we have a piece for two sopranos to sing together from Mendelssohn. Uh, she talks about opera, and uh, she also liked a lot about theatrical. She did her own. She wrote her own play, and I had it in my hands uh, at the Whaling Museum in the, in the research library. And I had the play in my hands, and it, it takes you some time because the handwriting, the way people wrote back then, it takes you a few minutes. And and I and I'm doing a little bit of the slide <laughs> trombone trying to read her handwriting, and then once I get into a rhythm, then I can't stop. And then I'm reading what she wrote, and I'm reading what other people wrote to her. And it's it's been absolutely fascinating. I learned more about her and who she was. And like you said about the diaries, they <clears throat> there's like 1872, 73, 74, 75. Then they stop for a few years. Then it's 1906, 1904, 56 is a good period. And then she picks up again in the 30s of what's available. Who knows if there are other diaries that, like you said, if somebody finds them in the eaves of their house, please please send them Dawn's way. Um, but it's an interesting different portions of her life as a young woman, as a middle-aged woman, and then a woman at the end of her life, and how music is the thread that she keeps commenting about um, in those those time periods. And so I really have enjoyed, you know, getting into that and. And of course, the Portugal connection is is big for me too, because uh, her family uh, 
lived in Fayal, and she spent time going back and forth to Portugal. And one of her diaries, she talks about today there was snow on Pico. And that's where my great-grandmother is from, is from Pico. And my great-grandmother was born in 1903. So then I start imagining, because that's the crazy person I am, I start saying, well, what if her mother and father were on the island and Amelia just... And how do we know that the way we intersect 150, 160 years ago, those are the ancestors that now, and this is where we're at now. That's amazing. So I'm actually doing some Portuguese repertoire on this concert. And not Fadu, you know, there's so much Portuguese music that's performed in this area. But this is classical repertoire in uh, Lisbon Portuguese, not Brazilian, in Lisbon Portuguese. So I'm doing three songs from a uh, Portuguese-German composer named Alfredo Kyle. And that also speaks to me because I'm half Portuguese, half German. So there's that connection, too. And so I'm doing three of his songs that are about island and um, life in villages and you know, she she was studying Portuguese when she was over there too. She writes about taking Portuguese lessons, so oh, fun. that's one of the little connectors to her in the concert. And I know, talk about how this kind of fits in with kind of the the houses. One um, of the things I like about a lot of your your exhibitions is kind of this slice of life. Um, you know, whether it's the fashion or different things that kind of are really intended to take people back in time you know this is this was new bedford in this area this was new this family in this era having the music from that era kind of echoing through the halls it's got to be a, a nice uh, uh accompaniment to that mission that's exactly right that's kind of the intention of of music and also it's a it's a small intimate setting so why have this music in the house? Well, you could say, well, this is something they did. This is how they experienced music in the parlors. Um, but it's also, um, even if you didn't know that, how great is it to hear live music with probably 40 people around you at the most in a kind of intimate setting where you're probably, if you're in the front row, you're going to be about four feet from Patrice and hearing you can, you know, that's when you can hear people take their breath while they're, you know, inhaling before they sing, or you can hear the people's, the finger pads on the piano keys and all of that really close up experience. So there's that aspect, which has nothing to do with all this great research Patrice has done. Um, So it's a great intimate setting, but it's also another way to experience history, right? So not everyone um, is, a, is enjoys reading about history. Um, maybe they are more kind of tactile or um, they love music. And so this is one more way to interest you in the house and the period. Maybe you ask a question afterwards. I understand. Now, Patrice, are you giving us a little context in between music? Absolutely. Gonna, right. So <clears throat> yes. so it's a kind of a lecture concert, mm-hmm. m- more, much more concert than lecture, but you'll get that context. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'll, she'll be like a speaking label. So if you come <laughs> to the house now, you know, you, you, you walk through a house that looks, many of the rooms are period rooms. They are... Uh, furnished with the the furnishings of the period, and then there's labels. You know, that you have to read and and find out more about that thing. So, um, so how nice is it when you can kind of go hear about a thing in a kind of abstract way, of course, um, and and understand more about what the people would have done in this setting. So any historic house is going to want to do that is give you a slice of what life was like mm-hmm. for these people. Maybe, you know, not everyone lived the way the Jones lived. They were very wealthy New Bedford residents. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were 
in the top 10 of uh, wealthiest people in New Bedford at the time. Um, Amelia is, is a really interesting um, character because she moved into that house as a child and then was the last one living in the house. So 19, uh, 1850 to 1935 is her whole lifespan is in that house, basically. Well, except for her, her birth. She wasn't born there. Um, but she never married, and she was very kind of artistic and she played piano and she she loved theater um and she hosted things just like what we're going to do mm-hmm. uh, she hosted parties and had performances within the house she was a tremendous um, philanthropist for the for the area and so she used music as a way to raise funds for projects that were dear to her heart and in her diaries she talks a lot about going to the you know and it's all the names of New Bedford that all our streets are named for and and and, and, you know buildings and these are actually the families and she was rehearsing concerts and then presenting them places and raising money she did a lot for a a men's ministry um, downtown Um, she was doing a lot for that of course the big the big her big gift is the land the farmland for Solomar for the children's hospital that she donated um, that really was you know a tremendous thing for the for the city but it was it was very interesting to read also about that how much she was connected because she was essentially what we would call a lady of leisure she didn't have to work and you know her family was so wealthy so she occupied her time with the things that women of that class did, which was German and French and music and sewing and, you know, trips here and there and back and forth to Boston and New York and, you know, and she had her own health health issues and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that, but... Um, the, it's the philanthropy is great. And I think it's fun how immersive this is to be, you know, it's, you can go to another concert hall and hear the music of the area. You can go see the, the, the furniture and the, you know, be surrounded by it, but it's it's a very immersive experience, you know. What the only thing that's missing is you know dinner and and waistcoats. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it really is a nice little uh, uh, time capsule that you all are wrapping up and, and inviting people into. I think it's it's a lot of fun. Well, and the great thing is that since you know Dawn took over the position, she's been very helpful to me and to see Glass. You know, I like I we joke she inherited me, <laughs> and um, you know I asked she took a chance and let me you know continue to do the summer concerts that we do there that have been fairly popular. And now we're moving into the house and, you know, trying something different here. And you've had the New Bedford Symphony, the chamber concerts already at the uh, at the Roach Jones, right? They did a concert in the parlor. Yeah, so the, the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra has a partnership with us as well. And they, through their, I think it's some outreach effort that they have, they partner with us and do two concerts about this time of year, again, cold weather months inside in the parlors uh, to do these kinds of parlor concerts. So we do have one more of those coming up um, in April. And um, they had a concert in February. So so this is a nice spring. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll call it spring, even though we're not quite there yet. <laughs> this is a nice spring series of um, three concerts, Symphony Orchestra playing twice and, and Seaglass Theater uh, playing once. Of course, we are looking forward to moving outside mm-hmm. in August. Yes. And that's a concert that um, can seat way more than 40 <laughs> and has a completely different feel because it's a kind of a bring your picnic and sit on the lawn 
song type concert or um, sit under the tent and you know the safe shelter in case it rains so rain or shine concert um and so that we have set as august 22nd am i correct that's correct august 22nd so this is our sixth sixth year before it started out just as patrice tiedemann and friends and now it's officially under under my company under sea glass theater company and so this is year six and uh, this year it is uh the concert is called return to camelot and it is the music of learner and low and that is because Alan Lerner, the lyricist for that creative team, his hundredth birthday, uh, this is his the year celebration was August thirty uh, first, uh, nineteen eighteen. So this is the we are the last thing, and they've been doing a series in New York of some of his um, lesser known pieces this year. And I kind of was like, well, okay, maybe I want to do a little bit of that. So. And a, we talked last summer, and, and last summer you had kind of more of a, a beachy vibe. Um, yes, I change all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, and this, you know, this sounds like the, uh, you know, the upcoming uh, period concert is kind of more um, historically focused than kind of, you know, the beach theme or the learner low. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've done before? Is this kind of a new... Um, a new exercise for you to really dig that deep into the history going back as far as you have for this uh, indoor concert? Before I ran Sea Glass, um, I ran Charleston Chamber Opera in South Carolina. And I used to, I had a partnership with the Gibbs Museum of Art down there. And they took a chance on me like Don did and um, asked me, they used to send me the book of what the upcoming art exhibits were going to be before it was known to the public. And I would say to them, I would look at what was coming and I would say, I think I can make something out of this. And so I would do research. So I did a program for them on Whistler and uh, called it Whistler and His Women and did it as a context of that and did music of his lifetime, but did it in a dramatic telling of his romantic life. And we did that uh, at the Gibbs Museum. We also did uh, some concerts on Gullah art, you know, the Gullah uh, culture and did concerts that were related to African-American composers of that time period and then did a whole exhibit on faces and they did a whole, it was portraiture. And so we did operatic repertoire that had to do with faces and what people see in the mirror. So this kind of thing really pushes my buttons in a good way. And it, um, I love doing research like that. And I've got some other projects for sea glass coming up in the next year or so. That's also going to be another, uh, heavy research for me, but I, I really love it. And I like saying, how can I take this and make it accessible to people? And also to promote our city, because so much of Amelia also has to do with the, the history of New Bedford. I was just going to ask how, how it was different approaching it, New Bedford as opposed to Whistler or something, you know, kind of, you know, South Carolina. I have lived something. here almost my whole life other when, when I, than when I was in grad school and working out in the Midwest uh, for Indianapolis Opera. And there were things about New Bedford that I did not know until I started researching her. I mean, she talks a lot about Liberty Hall, and I'm writing this down, and I'm going, Liberty Hall? What's Liberty Hall? Well, then I start reading about it, and it's like, okay, so Liberty Hall is across the street from No Problemo. That's where it was. And they used to ring the bell for the Underground Railroad when they were coming looking for escaped slaves, and they would ring, the hall would have a bell. And it would ring, and it would tell them, take cover, disappear. And then it became a a concert hall where they had lectures and and music and theatrical things. And so she would 
walk down the hill and, you know, and go see things down there. And I think Frederick Douglass spoke there his last visit to New Bedford. Yeah. Was, uh, we just did the Frederick Douglass magazine as one of our special mm-hmm. sections, and that was uh, included in there. I actually dug up an old picture of Liberty Hall to include in the Did magazine. you know that there are two Frederick Douglass operas? I did not know that. There are. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> Guess where my wheels are turning. <laughs> How? Can only imagine. Well, I think there's a personal responsibility if you're trying, you know, not only... My thing has always been not only a sea glass about promoting art in general, but I'm a product of this city, and I, if I can promote the city through arts too, that's a, that's a bonus. So doing a project like this and saying, look at all the good, you know, when kids say, oh, if I do this, nothing will matter. And I always say to kids, you have no idea what your reach is. Did this woman know that this would affect this, would affect that, that she would donate this land, which would become this hospital, which would then become that? We never know what our positive um, influence can be. It is a wonderful. It is a wonderful life. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you have a um, a fun is it a uh, the Duffs? You're going to have a cocktail party all about the Duffs as well, right? We have a our summer fundraiser, which is just ba- basically a fabulous party out in the garden, is June fifteenth, and we chose to focus on kind of mid century chic when the Duff family was living in the house. So they lived as soon as the Joneses uh, were. Um, done as residents, they, of course, lived in the house until it became a museum. So this is now 1935 all the way up to 1979. And um, so we thought, great, what a great era for decor and cocktails and music. So I think it's mostly just going to be a very fun party for us to throw. We're really thrilled about, you know, coming up with with um, decor ideas and and things to do um so june 15th again out in the garden um and food and drink and we're starting with a live pianist and then uh proceeding with a dj so you can request music of the era or whatever you want to hear basically um tickets are not quite on sale yet but if you call us we'll we'll put your name down somehow <laughs> speaking we'll of tickets it. before we get too far ahead yes. let's talk about your upcoming tickets. concert where okay. and how and all the details so the tickets for the march 31st concert are directly through the rjd museum if you go on their website there is uh there is a a link you can purchase tickets and it is twenty dollars for rjd museum members and twenty five dollars for the general public and then tickets will also be on sale the day of Yes. I believe you can purchase them at the door. You can purchase at the door. But we why would you want to ahead. do that? Because yeah. it's so fabulous. <laughs> and it's also general seating. So if you have a ticket or you plan on purchasing one, I recommend coming early. And then you can sit that four feet from, from And can the they trace. look around the museum if they come a little early? Can I would love you to look around the museum. Please. We'll be there at least. Uh, it's actually, we open the museum that day at 10 a.m. So, oh, wait, this is a Sunday. Yes. Sorry, we open at noon. But so you I can will, come as early as noon. But I will backtrack around. on that because we're going to be doing a rehearsal in the museum on Saturday. So if you have to devote a whole day to the RJD, which who wouldn't, then you can come in and we'll be in the parlor rehearsing. And I enjoy being um, in the zoo. And anyone can come and talk to me and ask me, what are you doing? What is this program? Why are you doing this? I am completely happy to ask questions. So if people want to come into the RJD and look around during the museum hours on Saturday, we will be there in the afternoon rehearsing. And that's myself and our music director, Dr. Matthew Larson, who plays piano. Because, of course, you can't have 
um, a, a program devoted to an amateur, a fabulous amateur pianist without doing some piano pieces. And then I also have an exciting young soprano coming to join me, and her name is Helen Hassinger, and she's a graduate of the BU Opera Institute, and she's also a professional violinist, and so she's going to accompany me on a particular piece, because we tried to get a, a lot of female composers in there. That was fun. So we're going to be doing that. And then the August concert, if you are so moved and you say, I have to buy Learner and Low tickets right now, that link in brown paper tickets should be ready to go uh, in a day or so. So that'll be ready. Seaglass handles those tickets, and but Dawn is kind enough and handles the tickets for March and does that one. True, yes. And you can call us, too, if you're very kind of low-tech. Just just call us. We'll figure it out. We'll write your name down on paper. And and how do they get tickets for the June? Now, can can they go on the website to get tickets for the Duff Cocktail Party? So the Duff Cocktail Party is not quite, we're not quite ready yet. Um, But actually, since I'm recording this now, it makes me think I will get very ready very soon. (laughs) Let's say uh, by April. By it's almost April, right? So I would say by April we'll be ready to take your tickets for the Keeping Up with the Duffs cocktail there, party. There were special roses last year that were getting cultivated, right, for the garden. So if you didn't, if you haven't been to the RJD lately, lately being um, any time in the last year, you will see some new things. We do do changing exhibitions. There's that, but there's also a whole new rose garden and. It's not like the kind of thing you just change over every couple of years. Once the roses are in, they're in, right? But we had a rose garden uh, under Kate Corkum, the last director, that was definitely on its way. It had just kind of lived its most of its life. Plants do have a life, as you know. And and so it was time to have a complete refurbishment. So So under Kate Corkum's direction, we planted, I think it was about 350 rose bushes, um, and something like 700, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the book, Boxwoods. Um, so it's a lovely revitalized rose garden, but don't come until about, I would say, June when the roses come out. Come anytime, but the roses come out in June. <laughs> and it's beautiful in August, too, when we're there. And they last all summer. Yeah, they're they're, it's gorgeous. We have an amazing groundskeeper, Rick, shout out. <laughs> um, and uh, he keeps them looking gorgeous. Mm. It's so much fun. It's such a, uh, you know, uh, little oasis, you know, it's in it's, the middle uh, of the city. It really is. Yeah. And it's, I, I come from an area where the history, it doesn't kind of go back as far, you know, the, I think new Englanders have a unique, uh, connection to their history and a unique connection to kind of a scope of history that the rest of the country doesn't have. You know, there's not a lot of, a lot, not a lot of other places in the country that you can really, you know, you can go to see a tavern that was here, you know, in, in colonial days, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So I think that's part of what, what, uh, what the fun of it is to me is, is kind of the scope of the history. And, and like you said, you know, when you're reading the the diaries, being able to imagine, you know, what was it like to go from here to Boston to go see a concert? Mm-hmm. You know, was it, uh, you know, what was the... And that there was a train station in New Bedford that took you to Boston. Yeah, and, and you know... Can you imagine your, that? <laughs> did, did you have a traveling dress and then you, you changed? And, you know, it's just oh, yeah. all of these things, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, Downton Abbey kind of thrust a lot of this kind of uh, how the kind of the well-to-do lived... Um, well, in her lifetime, the, I mean, it spanned, I mean, the in, telephone and yeah. cars. And by the time she passed away in 1935, I mean, 
you know, I mean, so much had happened in that time. I mean, her father even writes to her about seeing Abraham Lincoln um, on as he was campaigning to be president and writes to his daughters about that and being in the hotel with him. And I'm like, this, this is this is incredible. Yeah, it is shocking. And, and New Bedford has that history that you don't, you know, and then you talk about them being one of the, one of the most wealthy families in New Bedford. And it was, you know, during a time when that's not a something to seize at, um, you know, it's kind of a remarkable, uh, remarkable thing. Right. So Jones, Jones was involved in the whaling industry. And we know that New Bedford was the whaling capital. So Roach was whaling industry. Jones was whaling industry. And I, um, if you want to count an- ancestors, then Duff's grandfather, I believe, was involved in the whaling industry. But these are the fortunes that built these houses, a lot of the houses in New Bedford. And so we're one more of those one more of those houses. The nice thing about our house, I will plug us. First, we're a museum, so you can visit us. You can come inside and see, you know, see the interiors. A lot of those houses have been... Um, Unfortunately, there was no no preservationist to take over the house, so they have been converted to offices and commercial spaces. But we also still have our lot, which is the the grounds, the garden, the rose garden that was mentioned, um, and that is what what a gentleman's house would have. You would have a beautiful garden where you might have some grow some of your own food. You might have the Jones had an apiary, so they had bees on the grounds, and um, and so you can see kind of all of that is is just as it was for the most part. Now, is it a lot of fun to go there for work every day? <laughs> it's pretty yes. beautiful. Yeah, I, especially in the blooming season. It's very nice to mm-hmm. walk out the door. Although our offices are in the basement, so it's not quite, <laughs> quite as nice as you know, You're being up on the... You're in the old children's the... <laughs> playroom from the Duff era. I am in the, I real, the rec room. I, yep. I'm in, I'm, that's my office is the rec room. We have a lot of fun in there. <laughs> Fantastic. And when does the tent go up? Because that, to me, is always the, the sign of the change of seasons. Well, it's it's the depressing sign for me because once the tent goes up, there's not as much sunlight in my office. Oh, that's, that's true. <laughs> so I don't like the tent when it goes no, the tent, yeah, It does allow us to do events, larger events, like this concert that we'll be doing with Sea Glass Theater. Um, so, yeah, the tent goes up around the end of April. That is the true sign of spring, just so you know. That's a the true tent. sign of it's it's the when the tent spring goes up has arrived, the, the warm weather has arrived when the tent is and it stays up until up. end of October. Yeah, right it goes up there. through and that and then that's the true sign of uh, cry fall. Little. Well, I will say that you know, and again, being a relative new newcomer to New England, when it is warm outside, everybody's outside, everybody's soaking up mm-hmm. and doing something, and uh, you know, kind of Kentucky's not really the South, but it's Southern. And so, you know, when it's 90 and humid, everybody's just sitting on their porch, not doing anything. So here it's, it's a really a sweet spot. So the summer is really the active season where people just get out and uh, really appreciate all the things that are around them and all the things to do. So mm-hmm. it's been nice. And if you've never been to the RJD, this is a chance to see it in, an, in a unique way. And it's also handicap accessible. So if people are concerned about that, there's, you can get into the house, uh, this seems like the chance to go. So, so the chance. The, Sunday the 31st. At 2 o'clock. Guys, thank you all for coming in. I appreciate you uh, coming in and, and talking to us, and we look forward to having you back for another, uh, another visit. Absolutely. Another thank you. Thank you for having us. Dive into the thriving local arts, entertainment, and food scene with coasting editor Jerry Boggs and his guests. Let us be your guide to the creative South Coast.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.